Hi, I'm Aaron, and welcome to the Slim, Finny, and Biggie Committee podcast, where me and my best friends, Danny and Matt, take a deep dive into hip-hop, the genre that has formed an integral part of our lives. Please like, subscribe, and follow us on Instagram at the underscore Slim Fitty Biggie Committee and stay tuned for any upcoming podcast news. Coming up on today's show, I caught up with one of the legends of hip-hop, Rex, who just dropped his new album, Things. He has been rapping for over 20 years, and that includes collaborations with DJ Premier, Pharaoh Monch, and Static Selector. He's not just a phenomenal rapper, but a fantastic person who always strives to improve. This was such a great conversation, and I hope you get as much from it as I did. All right, let's get into it. All right, welcome to the Slim Fitty and Biggie Committee podcast with my man Rex, a veteran of hip-hop. He dropped his first studio album in 2001, so it's coming on to close to 20 years in the game. If you haven't checked out his stuff, he's worked with some legendary producers. I know everyone probably asks you about DJ Premier. You've worked with Static Selector. He's one of the one of the greats in the game, so if you haven't checked it out, pure lyricism, boom, back. Highly recommend. I've been a fan of yours for a long time. You also re- uh, released a new album as well, Things, that just dropped right. as well. So for me, it's a real privilege to speak to you. I always like to, to understand where you came from. So what was your introduction to hip-hop? How did you as a kid figure out and understand that this is something that is legitimate in, in the real world? Um, I, I guess for me, the, the, the main thing was... Um, uh, as as a kid, just following around my older cousins and seeing uh, what they were doing with this you know vibe, new vibrant culture, um, it had been around for you know for for some time. But um, I kind of I kind of was born around the time of the creation of like you know the real development of hip hop. Uh, coming up in a small city like Lawrence, Massachusetts, you know we had plenty of our family members who were back and forth to New York. Um, it's about three hour drive to New York from, from where I, where I am in Massachusetts. And, um, my introduction was just family members, um, who, who were, uh, thrust into the culture via, uh, breakdancing specifically. I was part of a group called, uh, Funktown Connection, uh, as a, as a youth and, uh, breakdancing was my true start in it. Uh, uh, and my first, my first passion, but I mean, it wasn't, a, it wasn't a long, uh, lived passion, uh, the mic started calling me uh, 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 shortly thereafter, but um, the culture itself just it 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 it, it, grab, it got me based on my need to be um, around my older cousins. Some people don't know, but hip hop breakdancing is part of hip hop history because break beats are part of what makes what you know elevated hip hop to where it is right now. You know, with the with the DJ actually breaking the beat so that it's something that you can dance over. So you were with, you know, you started breakdancing. How did you get into emceeing? Because to me it seems like a big step because, you, number one, you're dancing, you don't, you know, it's not your voice, whereas when you represent your voice, you're actually taking a big jump, you're taking a big risk. How did you get into that world of, you know what, this is something that I'm going to do? Um, so like, um, 
I remember as a youth, um, we had like this little makeshift um, uh, theater in my neighborhood um, where they would always, they would show like two films in this, in this small little theater. It was, it was the smallest room. The theater probably held about, um, you know, 40, 40 or 50 people max. I mean, I don't even, I don't even want to say that it was like, it, it was much, much smaller than that. Uh, it was, it, it was a tiny little like box of a room and they would show these films. And one of the film, uh, one of the main films that they would be showing were breaking, breaking two and beat street. And it was beat street that really drew me in uh, the others because of the breaking, obviously, and, and, and beat street as well. But the, the emceeing thing drew me in through beat street. And, and watching uh, Cool Mo D and the Christmas rap. Um, I remember seeing that, memorizing it and going back to school. And, and you know, we had like this little uh, uh, elevated platform in the back of my uh, uh, elementary school. I don't know what you call the school's uh, system there, but grades one through eight would be elementary and middle school. Yeah, that's our primary school. Yeah, so during our elementary, your primary, we would, um, I would go back to this little um, platform and I would spit the Christmas rap <laughs> and, and, and a group of individuals would, uh, would uh, surround me. I must've been like, you know, 11, 12 years old. And um, one girl called me out. She was like, that's not your rhyme. That's not your rap. <laughs> you know, it blew up, blew up my spot. And from that point on, I was, I was, I was dedicated to like have my own rhymes, my own styles my own name and my first rap name was MC Rock. The only other rap name I've ever had, uh, my very first rap name as a little kid was MC Rock. I just wanted the MC in front cause that just was what everybody was doing. And my first song, it was called Pumas because Run DMC had my Adidas. So I had to, I had to have something like that. So I came out with Pumas. And so where did the rock part come out? What, what, uh, what was that in the say, say it again, say it again. So you were MC Rock. Did Rock play a part? How did you come up with the Rock part of the MC name? I mean, it was it was it was really just um, you know I, I was I was able to rock the mic. You know that's what I was thinking of. MC Rock was like yo MC Rock the mic basically, um, and so that that really didn't live that long. I I, I changed it to Rex. You know I I want to say I, I was a teenager and I was Rex. I was always Rex. And so you. You, you throw up this mic, you, you go, you spit, it's not your verse, you get called out. Mm-hmm. It, it's interesting to me that your decision after that was like, I'm going to dedicate myself to writing mm-hmm. because I feel like a lot of people would have turned the other way and been like, you know what, I learned my lesson, I got called out, I don't do that again. What do you think it was that made you continue and actually want to push it further? Uh, I, I really, I really feel, felt uh, a desire to express myself, um, and 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 I was always kind of a showman. I always wanted to, um, you know, kind of perform. Uh, if it, if we would have family gatherings, my sisters and I, we would like, you know, come up with dance routines and do different things like that as 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 youngsters. And you know, older uncles, aunts, they, you know, would love it. We we basically perform and we you know, c- collect coins, you know, we get like 50 cents from, from various aunts and uncles. And we just take the money and go run to the, to the candy store. We'd be like, we'd be loaded, you know? So like, I was always a performer. I always wanted to like be, uh, have that part of me. But another part was like, I was always socially aware and coming up in my neighborhood, um, which is a very impoverished city, Lawrence, Massachusetts. Um, 
the things around me and the environment that I grew up in uh, played a major part on on my thought process from very, very young. And because of that, um, I felt the need to express myself and the best way for me to express myself was through, through uh, uh, my poetry, through my lyrics. And so what do you think gave you that understanding of your environment, as, especially as a young a young person, it's it's hard to understand the complexities of what's happening around you. But like at 13, if you needed that as a form of expression, it's actually quite rare. So what do you think gave you that depth of understanding? Okay, so I had a, I, I was I, I was an odd child in that um, there were two places that were like my places of solace, like where I would love to frequent on by myself. Uh, and while, while I did partake in sports and other things like that, I never re- really was a video game player or anything that kids my age were doing. Um, I would get lost in books. So the library was my, one of my first places of solace. And there was another location. It was called um, the uh, we had a museum of La- uh, Lawrence history. Um, uh, uh, and that museum, uh, for those who don't know, like, let me give some context. And in United States, even though Lawrence is a very small city and, um, and it's, it's, it's about six square miles, um, it's, it's, not a, it's not a big city. The thing about it is, though, uh, it's a very historic city. Uh, when immigrants came into the United States from all over Europe, when um, that great, great migration came, uh, individuals, um, you know, getting away from uh, certain diseases and sicknesses that were, were plaguing those areas, um, when individuals came into the United States, when they were looking for work, Lawrence was one of the main places where people went. Lawrence and another city close to us called Lowell, where they had these textile mills and the textile industry was a huge industry during the industrial revolution. And then in, in the time you know, following that, um, and these individuals came into these locations, cities like my city um, that I grew up in. And I, I would I would go to this historic museum to just study these old, it wasn't even it, these old films that were um that were proje- on projection. Like it, it was it was incredible to like just look at reels and reels of film uh, of uh, the child the child labor. Uh, that was um, being practiced during that period in time, the uh, woman suffrage, things that just was going on in the United States. I was like, uh, I was engulfing myself in that kind of um, historical context. And being a melanated uh, Black man in the United States and there being a difficult history without people and also a very very, um, fabricated uh, storyline about where we come from and who we actually are. Uh, it, it became my um, my goal in life to not only learn that for myself, but able but to be able to spread that message. It's just interesting to me that as a young, like you're you're in your early teenage years, that this is a curiosity that you had. Usually, you know, when I'm sure you've seen friends of your children there. They're a little bit older, maybe a little bit younger, but they don't have that natural intellectual curiosity. It sounds like you are actually really driven to learn, and that's really cool. I think we, you can definitely see that come through in your hip-hop as well because there are certain words that you use, there's certain type of language that you use that is more complex compared to you know simple rhymes, and I think that's really impressive. But when you were reading, were you reading books about history or were you just reading just as 
to enjoy reading? Um, a bit of both, because at that age, I was really into comics at the time, too. Um, I, 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 I was an artist. Uh, I used to um, uh, draw like I, I wouldn't do make up uh, my own characters, but I would like, you know, draw from, you know, take a scratch paper and, and draw something from an image I was looking at. Um, you know, I would I would do a bit of that. And um, I read I read um, all the all the uh, comic Marvel was like really, really huge for me uh, growing up. I love the Incredible Hulk. Um, and then um, uh, from that, um, that was an aspect of like, you know, more fan fantasy and what have you. But um, the majority of anything I read was nonfiction and, and of a historical context. And, and that was important uh, in, in creating for me imagery. Um, because a lot of books, um, uh, my mom would always teach me when you're when you're reading or when you when you're getting information to you know take the chicken, like take the meat and spit out the bone. So like you know a lot of times I, I took from that that you know all the all the messages that I'm being uh, told, be it religious books, be it uh, you know books on uh, you know world world cultures, whatever the case may be, economics. There's going to be misinformation sprinkled in, and propaganda is a huge thing. So I would always do what my mom said and take the meat of of what I'm reading and be able to swallow that. And uh, well, not anymore. I'm a vegan, but um, but um, you know take take that portion and 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 find app uh, find um, satiation from that, and then you know discard the stuff that's unnecessary. It's interesting that you say that because in high school I studied history and only once I studied history did I realise that historians, their job is to write about history, have biases. You have conservative yeah. historians, you have more liberal historians and they will write to, to further their view. So it's interesting in general because we have this view, especially in society, that history is history where in reality it does come from the source. So depending on who writes it, you'll get a different perspective and in the interpretation. In terms of Yeah, absolutely. In terms of for your family, because it sounds like your your mother's quite in tune and clearly quite intelligent. How did you how did you get that influence? Did you get influence from your family? Were they pushing you forward? Were they always kind of motivating you to continue learning? Absolutely. I mean, my mom was huge on um, education and, and us being focused on what we want to do. But just how I raise my kids, uh, I, I get a bit of that from her in terms of not forcing on them any um, any sort of belief system or any um, uh, viewership, just viewership, just mo mostly, uh, you know, sharpen, sharpen that tool because it's a, a very important tool and, um, you know, question everything. My big thing with my children is to question everything. Um, it, it's, it's imperative that, that they, they, they seek out information, but when they, when they don't either don't understand, or if they disbelieve, or if they have a view that's opposite or opposing what they're being taught, I, I, I am emphatic about them taking taking those chances, those risks, being the person to speak out and let it be known how you view things. I think that's really important because that's where you develop, I find personally as well. If I don't, I, if I don't question things, I won't understand it because it's just said at you. I need that dialogue. And, you know, that's, that's, it's great that you're, you're imparting that into your children. How old are your children? 
Uh, I have a 17-year-old. He's graduating. He'll be heading to college this upcoming year. Uh, I have a, I have an, I, I now have a 20-year-old uh, through uh, my my fiance's daughter, who is now my daughter, um, and you know, uh, a, a youngster. He's 10 years old, uh, and you know, he's in he's in the grade that I was talking about early on. Uh, and so the three of them are, are, are finely tuned. Uh, the uh, our 20 year old, she's super sharp. She's she's in her studies, yoga, meditation, very focused, uh, focused on on uh, business ideas and concepts right now. And the 17 year old, he's getting prepared. Uh, we, we let them know uh, specifically my 17 year old, let him know after par after graduation, uh, he turns 18. He needs to have his first LLC, you know. Yeah, well, it's. It's cool, man, because now that your kids are grown up, how did you see kind of being a parent but also being a hip-hop artist? Because the balance of the two is actually quite challenging because being a hip-hop artist or being an artist in general is not a nine-to-five. It has so many different parts of it. You have to tour. You have to record. How did you balance the two? Uh, I, I didn't do the greatest job of balancing it. I had a difficult time and uh, it, it was extremely challenging um, throughout um, uh, my career and, and, and that being uh, paralleled with um, being a parent, uh, a father. Um, at the time I was, I was married um, to my, to, to my two sons, the, the youngest, the, the, the youngest two um, to their mom and um you know we just it, we just couldn't make it work it, it was it was too much of a challenge uh you know and it, it was a difficult rocky road uh after my divorce and 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 moving on to you know being a parent not only a hundred percent in the home but like you know sharing custody uh to now my my children are with me uh now um, but um, there was a period, there was a long period of, uh, of rockiness. And, and now uh, 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 my ex and, uh, and I are in great terms. She has a new husband. And, um, and I'm, I, like I said, I, I have a fiance now and, and we, we do a four way parenting thing. So we have a village that's raising these children. We don't look at it, look at it, look at it as, you know, it, it's a, it's a reason for us to have division in terms of our, our teaching them and raising them, but they just, they've grown their family uh, twofold. Um, my, my sons now have a second, um, a second dad. He's a great individual, uh, a, a great role model for them. And then they now have a second mom and my fiance and, and she's a great role model and, and, and everyone is working well together to make sure that we raise this village correctly. So this is actually something that's throughout history that, a village looks after children as opposed to two individuals. Have you found that because you have more support that it is easier or it is more beneficial for your kids and for the whole family unit as a whole purely because you have more support systems that they don't have to rely on parents? If anyone's having a tough time, there are people there that can step up. Absolutely. But also at the same time, it's, I, I, I won't, I won't deny the difficulties of like, you know, uh, parenting styles and, and, and ideas that we just, you know, we got to get accustomed to. Cause for instance, my, um, my wife now she's not, she's, uh, she's raised a daughter to 20 years old on her own and, and, and done an incredible job. And we have different ways of, 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 of teaching and, and viewing certain ideas. And we, we walk, we walk e each other through 
our beliefs on why, because at the end of the day, I know whatever she's teaching my 10 year old, uh, the intention behind it is pure hearted. And, and, and even though I don't agree with it, I gotta, I gotta get into a comfort zone in recognizing her, her teaching mechanism and how she's done something very successfully uh, on her, uh, in, in her regard in raising her daughter, now my daughter, uh, the way she has. And the same thing goes for uh, my ex-wife and her new husband, and knowing he has certain belief systems that are beneficial in teaching teaching my boys and you know a lot of a lot of fathers would feel um a hard time have a hard time with another man uh you know uh filling that role in that void when you're not there but i'm absolutely thrilled that they have someone like him in their life and uh i i know um, my ex-wife feels the same way with with my new wife well man i think it takes a lot of character i think you're definitely right that any man would feel threatened, you know, with, with someone else teaching their kids. I think no, everyone says it, but until you have children, you don't understand how how much they become your whole world. My parents always tell me, I don't have kids of my own, but my parents always tell me that I didn't understand how important my kids were until I had kids and it shifts yeah. your view. So, no, I think it's, it's impressive that, you know, you can all work together and put away that ego that can be in the back of your mind that, that talks shit and can allow you to, to be the best parent you can be. But if we switch back to, to your hip hop for a minute, how did you find writing? So you're reading your books, you're doing study, you're, you're understanding the world around you. How did you then put that into your lyrics and your writing? Um, I, I, I give a lot of credit to my, my grammar and my, uh, English teachers and, and the, and the individuals who played an impact schooling wise. But, um, in terms of writing that, that played a major role. Also what played a role is just like, you know, what was embedded in me, um, musically, I, I, I feel like, um, I got a music bone from like, you know, family members and what have you. Um, and in terms of like my, my writing and my writing style, my objective was to study those artists who kind of like uh, I resembled and who who I looked at, at as you know kind of father figures for myself uh, when my dad my, my my father was was absent uh, and then you know I I had individuals in hip hop who who essentially raised me and KRS One was one of the number one uh you know teachers not to be cliche but like he was he was truly a teacher and a and a and a, and an elder statesman for me um uh and learning um and and navigating this thing we call hip-hop and then you know you had big bros and like other individuals who you look up look up to uh and um you idolize as a youngster and you know um the gangstar foundation movement was a major aspect of that and uh you know even in the South, Outkast and the West Coast, Ice Cube was very huge. Um, you know, I was a big fan of Heavy D, um, and and I, I I had to make sure that I said Heavy D because uh, interestingly, and Ch and Chub Rock as well. These are two individuals who like played a major role in in me developing as a lyricist. And I always forget to mention them. And I think it's more so because they made fun music, but they were super talented lyricists. If you truly go back and you listen to Heavy D and you truly look back and listen to Chub Rock, they were they were really dope MCs. You know, regardless of like them making, you know, like really party records and things of that nature. They, if you listen to the lyrics, they they they're going in. It sounds like you really picked up that that part of it. 
So was it when you listened to hip hop? Was it the lyricism that got you into it first, or was it more the sound of it? Because I know for me, when I first got into hip hop, for me it was the beat. The beat with the music was the part that really drew my attention, and then I had to learn how to understand and listen to lyrics because different rhyme flows is different. It's a lot of technique in there. You've got multi-syllable rhymes as well. So what part of it drew you in initially? Well, being a dancer was definitely the rhythm that drew me in first. Um, uh, I was I was more uh, more captured by the sounds, the sound bed, and, and not so much the lyricism. Um, a, 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 as a um, as a fan of the music, um, the lyricism, you know, found my ear. I I feel when it was, you know, um, paralleled to like the world and the environment around me. Um, when I when I listened to the sounds and the messages, what um, um, you know. I had a I had a homie in my eighth grade class who was um who was super into NWA and I was super into KRS One, and you know we would go back and forth on why who was doper, and you know the reality was they were both um, expressing messages that were extremely important to the dialogue and conversation that was going on around us, uh, and I, I feel that's when lyricism really started to you know play a key uh, component in 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 my growth in my in my in my uh, coming of age uh, at that time um, when I was having those dialogues and why they were so important and I became a bigger fan I believe of Ice Cube than I was of NWA um, although I appreciate NWA a lot more now uh, for what they represented there's so many people you know like who come up and they say how they were fans of individuals when we lose greats like Jay Dilla and 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 uh you know certain MCs like Pimp C or whoever who they they claim they were fans forever you know what I mean I don't I'm not that type like you know where you know I, I need I need that validation the reality is is like you know I, I came to NWA late I came to Tupac late. Tupac, uh, Tupac is very similar to me as far as being a poet, and I feel like him him uh, having his life represent a certain um, kind of message. And I, I feel we all can see pieces of us in in artists like that. Um, but I wasn't I wasn't big on Tupac coming up. He wasn't one of the ones who kind of like helped me navigate this terrain we call hip hop. It was more people like KRS-One and Rakim. And uh, I was a big fan of LL Cool J. I was I was a fan of New York lyricists. And when and when I found Cube, and then like when you go outside of New York, it was like people like Scarface. So like individuals like that who always represented a certain kind of dialogue, talking about the fabric of the neighborhood. Well, it's interesting because the when you the messages that you talk about, Tupac is almost synonymous with that messaging, in the sense that. Whenever someone thinks of advocating for African-American people, it is Tupac first. That's always the one that comes to their mind. But we also review hip-hop albums on this podcast and literally every single hip-hop album we've reviewed talks about the African-American struggle, the challenges within a U.S. society. And it's crazy to me because the things that were being said 30 years ago, 40 years ago, are still the same things that are being said right now. And what you realise once you start listening and paying attention is that everyone goes through a, a different struggle but a similar struggle in a strange way at the same time. So 
for everyone that, that doesn't really understand, go back, listen to your KRS one, listen to your two back, listen to your NWA, and you'll see the the vast spectrum on which this is actually a huge issue because you've got people at, right now who downplay it, and it is insane, especially right now with the election coming up, the the turbulence that is happening, especially within the United States. It's supposed to be the land of dreams, where in reality that. For a lot of impoverished and minority people, it's it's a real challenge. Yeah, it's been a nightmare, to be honest. And 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 you put that very well in in, in expressing to the people listening and, and and to the individuals who who need to go back and just like look at it with with uh, a different lens or or a lens with more of an understanding of putting putting the shoe on the other foot to kind of kind of see what it's really about and what these messages really me- meant. Um, you know, being uh, I don't even consider myself, um, you know, African American, you know, and, and and it's difficult, you know, when I say melanated, um, and 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 view it the way I view it because there's so many ways of defining who we are as a people and where and and what we come from, but you know, like it, I don't, I don't, I am working hard not to say, you know, like even though our people came from the diaspora in Africa, um because it's popular to say Africa, like the, that continent wasn't called Africa. It was called a Kebulon. You know what I'm saying? It's not, it's not a, it's not a land um, that we should, we shouldn't gravitate to the name of Leo Africanus, who was not a, not a, a, a good person for our people. Like, so we shouldn't be speaking in the, in the, in the realms of that. And, and not to get too deep on it. The reality is, is in my messages, I am attempting it, with with a full heart to express to our people the best way to get to know yourself and to truly gravitate towards what our elders be they uh those who came from uh the the original continent or individuals who were here on this continent because a big guys uh, a big uh blindfold and veil over our eyes is the fact that a lot of the original people of this land are our ancestors like not individuals who not only individuals who came from uh, quote unquote Africa, you know, like our people are definitely from Africa, but we we have individuals interwoven into that kind of fabric that were already here on this land as natives to this land. And I think the challenge is exactly what you said, that there is a narrative that has been, you know, expressed in within social media, within what's taught at school, and the, the challenge, especially for people who want to learn more, is that you have to go and you have to do your research and you actually have to want to learn more because that social fabric narrative is not representative and we already discussed in terms of historians already change history, so it's important for you to go out, listen to different points of view and figure out where you sit based on your own research, not just one narrative. Yeah, and let your research not, absolutely, I'm a big advocate for books, but like don't allow your research to simply be books. If you're in the documentaries or different kind of um, information in that regard, do that. But look at the science, look at um, uh, the carbon dating and and and, and the things that come come with um, learning about uh, geography and 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 um the the other aspects that will be able to explain to you about people the the different um clothing the pottery the the things that are are fabrics of a culture can help you better navigate and understand who you truly are i think that's really important i think 
you know, when I listen to your, even your most recent album, I can see that you have a strong foundation of who you are. You see, you hear a lot of upcoming artists and you can hear in their music, they're trying a lot of different things and they're not hundred percent sure of what their brand is. They're not hundred percent sure of who they are as a person, but I definitely now can see that you are like, I'm Rex. This is who I am. I'm confident in who I represent and what I represent. And I'm going to show that in my music. Absolutely. I appreciate you for noticing that it's important uh, for me to express that. And it took me a long time to get to this point. And I'm still a student before I become a teacher. You know, I'm a, I'm a student of, of, of every aspect of this thing we call life. And uh, because of that, you know, like I can continuously convey what I convey, but at the same time, I'm super, super excited when somebody can teach me something uh, that I didn't know or, or, or uh, can express something that, that, you know, feeds that fire in me to learn. Because it always, like I said, I want to be a student first. You're now writing, you're, you're, doing, your, you're doing your research, you're, you're starting to write. When did you get to a point where you're like, you know what, I'm going to perform my my writings i'm going to perform what i've written down and i'm going to show people this is what i got um i think uh like on a on a broader stage and be able to like perform it started off in like the cyphers in the neighborhood like because you know coming up and coming of age at my time like cyphers were big freestyling and really coming off the top of your head when you call it freestyling not not creating something in 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 your bedroom or <laughs> in your home and then coming back and spitting something pre pre uh, pre prepared um but like um creating something uh that was a bit of redundant i could have said just prepared <laughs> but um, i just recognized that <laughs> but um it, that's hilarious um but um you know actually you know coming off the top and being creative in in a different way and that's not to not to take away from individuals who create the way they create in this new thing we call battling uh because it's it, it takes a certain skill set and an exceptional skill set at that to be able to do what they do but um you know i came up in a time where i my first First, um, my first platforms for doing that outside of that little schoolyard was when I was doing it in the ciphers. And those were the locations that that kind of bred me for going into Boston specifically and, and, and using the wonderful, wonderful uh, uh, some now defunct other one, uh, uh, other ones that are still going and thriving, like the Middle East nightclub, which is is a is a is a perfect spot for um, upcoming artists, artists um, who've been in the game forever, and it's been a place I've recorded um, uh, hundreds of times at. And um, there were places that are no longer with us, like the Western Front and Church and um, UndergroundHipHop.com. For a lot of people who you know would get their hip hop from UndergroundHipHop.com. They actually were a storefront in a location where when you had a new release coming out, you would go there to perform in, in uh, Massachusetts and Boston specifically. Um, and, you know, those, those were kind of the places where I went to first to like, to like, you know, uh, get my feet wet on the stage. And what was the reception like? Uh, I would say it was it was it was a great reception. Like uh, I feel I had a knack for what I'm doing. Um, you know, uh, my name started ringing bells around the neighborhood in terms of you know me being in different ciphers and like uh, uh, you know I started to gain some respect on on the battle battle scene a little bit in Massachusetts. Um, I I had a short lived stint as a battle MC, but I knew that's not what I wanted to do because the music I wanted to make I, I really didn't 
uh, get my thrills off of what we used to call, what used to lovingly call the dozens, where you know, you know, you kind of like you know throw jokes back and forth and like you know your mama jokes your mama's so fat or your mama's yeah. this and such as and a lot of that is is big in 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 the culture of battling um i wasn't so much of a funny guy off the top of the dome uh i was a more serious serious cat and um for my for my um focus i when i was battling i just wanted to tear or tear off someone's head <laughs> uh figuratively um like uh, with with the with the uh verbiage and, and and come across as like the aggressor uh with with what i was doing but i i come i came to find out that in battling when i got to like because i would always be in like the top you know three to five but i never won the battles i mean i, I think one one time i i went to the final and got destroyed in the final um but I think the reason being is because with that comes an uh, inability to mix that aggression with comedy and different aspects. And that's the beauty of like what battle MCs are able to like convey when they do what they do. And I respect this so much because they, they're able to uh, kind of mix up the bag a bit to give you a bit of all of that when they're, when they're doing what they do as their storytelling. Well, it's the, the punchline. you got to have that punchline where you set up it's like a stand-up comedian. You've got to set up the joke so that it really hits hard at the end. And it's interesting because yeah. battling is a really big part of hip-hop, but it's also important not to be me versus you because the whole hip-hop community is one community and the longer it goes, the more we see people realise that we're all in it together regardless of what you do, what you like, regardless of which hip-hop you like. We're all part of one community, so the the freestyling and the and the battle rapping is an interesting part of it to me. Absolutely, I I couldn't agree more. Yeah. How did you get to a place where you were ready to record your first album? Um. So, um. Shout out, super shout out to Brick Records, who I've been with throughout my career, and you know, have have had a, a super respect for my independence. The great thing about it is I've always done one-off like contracts with Brick Records. It's never been like a full-fledged like ten album kind of deal. They're an independent uh, from from our neighborhood who just they they were big on putting out you know good music. Um, and so what happened was I was in it. I was actually in a cipher. And uh, there was uh, a group by the name of Schizophrenic, super historical group in, in Massachusetts, phenomenal lyricist by the name of Check Mark, and rest in peace to my brother Eddie Bones um, and my home, homie Top Notch. And so they had a group, they were out of Cambridge, and we were in a cipher. And uh, I don't want to do my man Notch like that, but uh, basically, you know, someone had told Check, Check was about to put a vinyl out, and they told him, you know, you got to get this kid Rex on something. You know, I was young and hungry. And he was like, okay, well, you guys spit. Uh, he, was, he wanted me and Notch to spit. And he was like, yo, you spit. And, you know, whoever whoever kills it more is going to get it on the record. And so, um, you know, I got I got busy. And um, and Check was like, word, I, I want you to jump on this new vinyl we're about to put out with this label called Brick, uh, Brick Records. And the vinyl ended up being um uh, a record with checkmark myself uh esoteric who had already established himself in the city for for a period of time and a brother by the name of virtuoso for those who don't know 
who who was a, a an incredible lyricist from the same neighborhood and who um these were these were just like super dope MCs and this was my introduction to putting anything out uh, and from that um brick one just from me being on that record specifically in the 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 hugeness in the neighborhood of what that became um brick came at me they came they came to me and they were like look um you know um we want to we want to put a record out with you and so <laughs> i was recording in Papa D, who is who is the the label head of, of Brick Records at the time, we were recording things in his bedroom, <laughs> like uh, we we were recording. We're, he he had a mic set up like right next to his bed, and we would just it it was the most. It, it, I've I've since done recording in every situation. I've recorded in bathtubs. I've recorded in <laughs> every kind of condition you could ever think of. If you're an MC and you really haven't recorded in in the most incredible odd situations then i don't really think you've like kind of paid your dues or got your got your feet really wet uh in that environment but like yeah we recorded we recorded a bunch of stuff in it in his um bedroom and then you know we moved on to like uh I, f I forget the name of the first studio we did things in and we ended up in a, a location called boston butterbeat so we recorded in different locations and it's so long ago that we were in a position where you couldn't really go back so much and um like you had to have your stuff prepared. It wasn't really because um, we were using DATs and we were doing, you know what I'm saying? We were doing, we were recording on a whole different system at that time than the system of Pro Tools uh, that that individuals are new, using now on Logic, you know? So yeah. it, we are a long, we're, it, it, we're a long way from that when we started off. Um, my, my son would call it ancient times. <laughs> you know what I mean? In, in, in my ancient day. You know, so like, yeah, you know, what I mean, I've earned I've earned the grades in my beard, you know, I've earned them and, and I and I value them and um, I'm very proud of them, you know, and, and a lot of that comes with like, you know, being a part of uh, this thing we call hip hop, man. Well, I was talking to DJ Chubby Chubb and he said that when he started recording, he had to use floppy disks and like, you know, when. Chubby Chubb. Yeah, people, people like, <laughs> people don't don't know but like you know i remember in primary school i was using floppy disk you know you, you pull it back and it's it hits back up um but you know now you've got the technology out there to to access music and to be able to record is is completely different that anyone yeah. can do it from home like you said you can set it up in your room you can set it up in your bathroom um and you can literally just record and put some stuff out there so it gives a lot of people the opportunity who didn't have the opportunity before mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And how old were Absolutely. you when you first recorded this album? Uh, along, like came, first along Came the Chosen, my first album. Um, yeah. Okay, so I was, uh, what was that? What was that? 2000, I what I was recording, I, I probably was recording in 98, maybe. So I, I must have been 1920. I think I was 1920 around that. Once you start getting to the hip hop game, how did that influence? your schooling oh, i was done with school <laughs> yeah, yeah i was done the moment the moment i left i i, I got i got accepted to umass amherst a great school i i um i was i was set to go to school and finish four years i went there um i started literally i did great my first semester second semester i ended up in a different um uh i ended up in a different section i was a whole different individual back then uh, and I, I 
I got in a fight with my first roommate. Second roommate was like drama as well. I ended up in a third. I ended up um, in a third dorm room, and I had my own place because my roommate was in some uh, frat, and he decided to live at the frat. So I was just I was I was a freshman with my own spot. It just was like disaster conditions. Like I was like I was I was not I was not prepared to for the independence that I was given. And so I, I was going to the radio station that they had called uh, Breath Control. This was my first time being on the radio. And I was going to Breath Control every week, um, you know, two, two or three times a week. And just that's all I cared about. And then, you know, I, on the break, I went, I went, I went um, back to Boston and I spent time in Boston. And I was, that's when I started, I, st I put out my first demo tape. Um, we actually, um, actually, that's, that's, that's the reality of when I first recorded. That just reminds me. I actually recorded prior to, to the record. I had recorded my demo. Um, that demo, so that, that must have been, uh, I don't know, it was like I, my late 18, night going into 19. I recorded a demo called 20,000 BC. And I'm planning to release this demo too. It's not half bad. Um, and, and, and it was, it was, uh, it was during that period in time that I decided, you know, I'm done. <laughs> I'm, I'm done with school. Like, I mean, I got like, this is what I want to do and, and I don't want to do anything else. And how many tracks did you have on that demo? Oh, maybe like 12. I don't remember ex the exact number, but it was about 12 songs. Um, and it featured like my longtime um, round partner, Lucky Dice. Um, he, he was at UMass Amherst. I met him at UMass Amherst too. He actually finished college. That's why he, he started doing his thing a lot later than me, but um, he actually finished at UMass Amherst. Um, and then uh, it, 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 it had him and um, longtime collaborator, Chi Knox. These are two dudes who have been with me. They're on the new album and they've been, you know, on various albums. We have a group called M Diesel. And, um, you know, I've been rocking with them forever. They're two of my uh, greatest impacts in terms of like, you know, sharpening this, this, this uh, lyrical blade. Um, those two individuals have, a, have have had a key impact and yeah that, that first that first uh demo we recorded that on a break from umass amherst so yeah i was definitely 18. i was 18 years old i recorded um uh uh 2000, 2000 bc or 1999 bc it's one of them because you've got cannabis who does 2000 bc freestyle as well so you've got that era of you know that that up-and-coming artist how did you find the the lyrics that were, you know, there's a big difference between your NWAs versus your late 90s hip hop. How did you see that transition moving to late 90s, early 2000s? Uh, for myself or just what I was listening to? Uh, what you were listening to? Um, yeah, it was a, it was a, a big change, I think. Uh, there, like I was, I was still at, at my... Um, in, in my novice stage. So like I was, I was always eager to speak out against anything that wasn't traditional sounding hip hop. Um, so I was very vocal in my lyrics, my early lyrics and judgmental in my early lyrics of any, anything that didn't sound like pure golden era sounding hip hop. Cause I felt like that's, that was hip hop and that's it. Um, 
I don't feel so much that anymore. What I feel like is a, a, a need for us to be very open and understanding of sounds and, and, and the uniqueness and the great qualities of what what um, what is or isn't traditional. Um, uh, I can have so much respect for like a lot of these newer age um, artists. Uh, I, my son now is 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 starting to create his own music. He's more of a producer, but he but he rhymes as well. Um, and he, he loves he loves classics like he love like he's always coming to me with classic like his favorite stuff is like a tribe called quest he loves q-tip and he's like a, a big fan of of like jizza and like you know just like uh what the stuff we grew up on but he, he's coming up in an era where the sound is just so different um and um i i never attempted in, in any of my time raising him I never tried to condition his his ear to like listen to what I listened to. I was always like very early on, he was more into like the music that's for the gaming because that's what he's into, like coding and gaming and things of that nature. So that was the music he gravitated towards. And, um, you know, a couple of times us doing road trips and him listening to the stuff that I was playing on the road trips. We did a road trip uh, from from. Again, I, like I said, we have shared custody. I was living in Massachusetts and they were in Florida with their mom. So I would either fly down to spend time with them or they would fly up or, you know, a couple of times we drove. So like I drove down there to pick them up and drove to Georgia, which is a second home location for us. And during that period in time, I was playing a lot of the stuff that I'm into. And this was just, I think, around the time where his ear started to open up uh, a, a bit to like things and like, you know, he was... um. He was enamored by like some of those some of those sounds. It's impressive to me though that he picked up on the sounds and he's into a tribe called Quest. I listened to them recently as well, and my challenge was I didn't understand a lot of the references that they have, and you know to to actually be able to pick up on the references from thirty years ago is actually really impressive because I turned back and I'm like. I, I can understand that these references probably make sense in that era, but to me now, looking back, I don't know if if what they mean, right? So I wasn't as impressed. Right. So the challenge yeah. is for anyone that goes back and listens to old school hip-hop is you kind of also got to do your research as to what's happening around the time so that you can understand what they're talking about because it's all relevant to, to what you're living. That's very valid, and 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 I, I feel uh, what you're saying. Uh, it, it's important for individuals to do that, and I think my son. The great thing is he's a student. Um, he's he's got that you know in, embedded in him in that DNA, and so he is he is big on like truly studying and doing his research and and, and learning as much as possible, not just focusing on the art itself. But you know, we were talking about tribe, and my favorite tribe album is Midnight Marauders. And he loves low in theory. And you know what I'm saying? It, it bugs me out that he would love low in theory more than Midnight Marauders or even the the the, the latest one. We got it from here. You know what I'm saying? Like I feel like those sounds would, you know, do do more justice to the ear, but like you can't really tell. Like with De La Soul, I love Stakes is High. He loves the older albums. He loves the sounds of those older albums. He loves, he loves the difference 
in those albums and in that era of hip hop. So it's very incredible and 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 interesting to to hear his his positions on it, but just to notice like how his ear is growing, you know. Well, we we actually reviewed Midnight Marauders. It's not out on the podcast yet, but as a as a sneak peek, I actually didn't because I didn't get a lot of the references. I didn't give it as positive. I wanted to love it, but it's a different type of hip hop. I tend to steer towards more of your, you know, your gangster style of hip hop, like your ice cubes, that kind of stuff, that vibe. Cool. So I'm interested to ask you, what was, what is it to you about that album that has held over time? I I definitely think exactly what what you uh, uh, are not enamored with I, more. So I I, I love the sound bed. Uh, and I love the different sound of it. And I, I, I love the fact that Tribe always challenged themselves to, you know, push the gamut with, with, with things of that nature, with the sound bed. Um, and, 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 and I felt they were, they were very revolutionary in that regard uh, in terms of their approach. Um, and and um, that album just, just did that for me. A lot of what um, organized noise and, 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 um, and, uh, and uh, Outkast and Goody Mob, what they were doing was some of the very, very same things with their sound beds. And like, that's why I'm a super big fan of groups like that, uh, that kind of like push the envelope a bit. Well, the, the interesting part is their vibe is very much jokey, more jovial fun versus an aggressive style. So it takes some adjusting to understand that it is a new part of hip hop that there are multiple streams. It's not just the the gangster, the gang banging. That is one that gets publicized a lot, but that is not the one that is the only one representative of the whole culture. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But the intelligence and the you know, uh, I would say tribe. The thing about tribe is they tribe is a culture within the culture. Like you know, because from their artwork that that they they remain consistent with with the Pan African coloring of the of the album covers and you know the merchandise and everything that they were pitching and 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 representing for the culture uh with this culture within it um was so uh pro-black and pro um elevation of who we are as a people with the the ability to tell the story them and de la soul as well uh, and in many of the native tongues, but they had a softer side of the same message that was being told by Chuck D, who was another influence, obviously, uh, Public Enemy and, and Ice Cube and all that was going going on. There was a need, there was a necessary void for what uh, these individuals embodied. Um, the super lyricism of Fife Dog being who he is and being able to... Um, be being able to you know be jokey about the way he delivered i like my beast hard like today oh shit you know what i'm saying like that lyric is like it's funny but it's a hard lyric you know what i'm saying it's like at the end of the day it's a hard lyric and and it, and it brings you to that understanding of how 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 phenomenal they were they were at realizing who they were and what they needed to be in this culture and I think the, the impressive part is that they structured their albums in a way that was very specific. I look at Midnight Marauders as a perfect example. They had an idea, a concept to the album, and the concept is really strong throughout the whole thing. They're, like, educating you. You've got your tour guide throughout the album that comes oh. in and is like, 
This is a bit of background. My only one critique of that is the tour guide leaves with, I think there's one track left or two tracks left. And she says, this is the end of the album. Maybe it's a re-release. But um, I think that for hip hop, the Tribe Called Quest needs to be understood as an influencing factor. And regardless of whether you like it or not, you cannot deny how much it changed the game. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, but like not only them, but like, you know, native tongues in general, like the the sound bed of native tongues uh, with um, Jungle Brothers and, and their their uh, vibrations connected to like house music and, and 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 the other aspects of the genre. All these individuals like obviously house music was a major a- impact uh, prior with other names that I'll, I'll leave out of this conversation. But like individuals were uh, impactful with um, hip hop slash house music which were kind of married industry uh, married genres i should say um and it was it was very impressive and very uh very important to have uh these individuals have more of a fun playful side but all having kind of different aspects of that playful side because dela even dela especially with with plug one pasta noose like a lot of them were their sound was over the head that what they were saying in their lyrics, if you like, they, if, if if you want to talk about needing a dictionary, you had mentioned words I use sometimes. Like, you might like the way um, Pasta News thought, um, uh, his intelligence in terms of his his preparation and creation of his lyric patterns and and, and styles. Uh, it was very intricate and and very over the head. So uh, there were there were there's so many parts and layers to what. Um, what are uh, the natives embodied and, and even the extensions like, you know, uh, Naughty by Nature, who Naughty by Nature, <laughs> that's, a, that, that's, a, that's a fun group, but they was thugged out too, you know? Yeah, I think it, it's, we could talk about the history of hip hop and hip hop groups and the influences all day. This is why I love speaking to people like you because when I speak to you, I can clearly see that the passion is there. You can clearly see that you care about the, the guiding light you care about, you know, what hip hop represents, what the lyricism represents. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I mean, I appreciate, you know, you having this platform for us to have a kind a dialogue like this, which is important it, that, that crosses over borders and waters and like, you know, especially in a time that's so like, um, so fragile right now, it, it, the way the world is right now, it's great that we can have these kind of dialogues on this stage and, and, you know, uh, the live live via zoom where, it, where we're able to like, just, you know, make it work. Yeah. And I think, you know, Hip hop is one of these things where, for whatever reason, it was perceived for people who don't don't understand it as a divisive thing, but it brings people together because it's the beautiful thing of music is that people bond over it, and there is something unsaid almost about music that it, no matter where you're from, if you can bond over a track, or you can bond over a song, it kind of brings you closer, regardless of whether you're from the same background, religion, whatever you want to call it. Um, it just bridges all those gaps. Absolutely, and I feel I feel hip hop has been an incredible in, in, um, instrumental voice for our people, uh, even through uh, the periods of the naysayers who like you know doubted the culture or who were very outspoken against it. Sometimes with good reason, uh, the misogyny in the music, the gang, um, the glorified uh, violence, and, and and those aspects are very um, 
prevalent, um, prevalent, whatever you want to call it, uh, in this culture. Uh, but that dialogue in in Hollywood is is the same message. It's it's some of the same kind of language. And we live in a country over here. We live in a country that um, that practices or pretends to practice freedom of speech and expression, uh, and that that should be the the main dialogue that's allowed. Whether you agree with the misogyny, whether you agree with the the violence, I do not agree with it but whether you agree with it or not the object the the opportunity to express yourself the way you want to express yourself should be allowed and not limited um and 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 we can have a dialogue about it afterward if you disagree but um the the beautiful thing about hip-hop is it was very uh instrumental in the way that you know uh groups like the rolling stones and um uh artists like you know bob dylan like you know individuals like johnny cash who spoke out the way they did and had an emotional music and, and an emotional um uh message uh that kind of delivered uh something passionately and and sometimes aggressively uh and it, it's it's just a necessary uh gap um gap bridger you know what i'm saying for um various people like you had said uh before so so poignantly well, I mean, the the thing about music is that you tend to write what you understand. And the thing about violence, and if that's how you grow up, how are you supposed to rap about everything else? How are you supposed to talk about anything else? So for people who talk about that violent side and aren't for it, which is absolutely fair enough, and, you know, the, the aggression towards women and, and the violence is not a, a, a fun side of hip-hop, let's put it like that. But the way to remove it, if that's what you want to do, is to give more people opportunities to have to, to be able to express themselves about other things in their life. If you grow up in an impoverished neighbourhood, all you see is drug use, all you see is violence, all you see is, is these negative things, then you don't really have anything else that you can express yourself about. So yeah. one hand yeah. feeds the other in that sense. So it's not so much blaming the artist. The artist is just doing what they see. Like you said, you you became an artist because you wanted to express yourself. You had these views from what you saw in front of your eyes. It's not like you plucked yeah. it from imagination and you just came up with it. It was based on the things in your life. So if you want to remove that part of it, you need to give the people who talk about it, an opportunity to move into a different type of life, not just sitting stuck and feeling like the system has taken advantage of. Yeah, that's beautiful. That, that's very, very true. Uh, I couldn't say it better. And I, and, and I value what you had, what you just offered. So, yeah. And so move back to your hip hop. We've only gotten to the first album. You got like 11 albums to go, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. How did you you release the first one? How did it go down? And how when did you get to a point where you're like, all right, I'm I'm ready to go for a second? Um, you know, interestingly, um, my my goal with my second album was to like <laughs> again mirror what was going on in the culture outside. And I was seeing Master P um, you know, independently release records out of the trunk of his car. So this was the first time like I kind of parted ways from Brick Records and said, I'm gonna do my own thing. And I put my second album out on my own. We we just pressed up a bunch of records on our own and and we 
we went spot to spot, store to store, uh, sold them at um, at shows, sold them in front of um, in front of record shops. We sold them wherever we could on the streets. Um, at that period in time, you need a hawkers and peddling license to like be able to be on the street selling music. But like I've been arrested for you know being out you know at, by the beach, like you know just you know, soliciting every, each and every individual that passed by me. I remember those periods and times. I remember we used to go to the stop, stop, um, either the stop signs or be at the traffic lights. And when cars are parked, we would run up on cars, knock on the window, be like, put this in your, put this in your joint. Give me whatever you have, um, uh, to be able to pay for the CD. They play it, play it, love it. Pay us five, seven, ten bucks. Some people happy, throw you 20 bucks. Like, but we were selling CDs in that manner and in that regard because we saw what was going on in the South and how they were like, you know, getting over doing it. And we did pretty well just selling them out of the trunk. Well, you gotta do what you've got to do at the end of the day. At the end of the day, yeah. The the challenge with being an artist is that you don't get paid until after your music is complete. So you do a lot of work first and then you have to hope that people like it. So while you were recording, how did you still make ends meet? How did you still have money coming in that you were able to survive but still, you know, book recording sessions and still, you know, press music and do that all yourself? I work various jobs. My biggest um, my biggest payday was coming from, uh, you know, working with, with the youth. I was like not getting paid, you know, handsomely, but like what I was being paid was um, to do th- something I loved. I was always able to like, you know, kind of go back to things I love and working with the youth and being, a- being in the community and giving back in that regard was so huge and, and important to me. Uh, so I was in, I was in different various programs where, you know, kids uh, less fortunate or in positions like I was growing up, um, you know, either being in foster care. Um, I was in foster care for a few years. Um, and then, you know, being in a position of, um, uh, you know, g- getting in trouble in school and then ending up like, you know, on the streets themselves, like super young in their teenage years. So I would be in programs kind of helping get, get it in the ears of cat, uh, young, young, uh, individuals like that who who were coming up in hardships and just trying to influence them uh to, to the best of my abilities and and what was your advice to them when they were going through difficult times what did you try to instill in them to help them get out of it a major a major thing for me at that period of time was um uh showing cats um you know uh different outlets of expressing their frustration anxiety uh angers uh things that they were uh feeling depressed about uh just fi- finding other outlets i, I love to play sports with the kids um you know i was big on ping pong we had like a ping pong table downstairs and we would um we would um we would play that um i was big on teaching the kids chess um you know to to um you know utilize their mind and like keep their mind active and engaged um you know to focus on less of the, the hardships and, and and the heartaches or whatever they were dealing with in their personal lives you touched on chess when did you learn chess it's like a it's not a a sexy game anymore you know it's thousands of years old one of the most strategic games in the world but um you know it's one of the most complex games in the world as well so how did you learn chess uh, I actually was taught chess by my homie Lucky Dice. Um, you know, I, I didn't start. Pl- I started playing a- around the age of like I want to say 22, 23 or something like that. 
and I just stuck with it ever since. Uh, Dice was was big on chess, um, you know, growing up in his household. Uh, and, you know, he he was like, this is a game like, you know, that's super challenging. Uh, but like, you know, the way we the way we sharpen our blades with our pen, um, you know, it's very similar in that regard and very strategic. And, and you got to have uh, patience. It teaches a lot of like, you know, super imperative disciplines um, for any individual who's um, who's working on self. Like, you know, chess is a great way and a great outlet to like, you know, help you with that. And it also teaches you to think outside the box because each piece moves specifically. Like me growing up, my grandfather who passed away, he's, he was obsessed with chess. He studied the mm-hmm. books. He would play himself. And I never understood how that was possible, but he would try and beat himself. That's how much he, he loved it. Like he would just do it. He made me a chess board when I was a kid. Like he handmade the pieces out of wood and he gave it to me. Um, and he was wow. a freak. He just had this vision of understanding where the pieces go, how they move. He saw moves and tactics, and I was just, it always blew my mind. And I remember one day he had a cat, and he said to my brother that the cat would play him at chess. And so he, he'd, like, lean over, and the cat would whisper moves into his ear, and he'd put the chess piece down. And then my brother went to school and said, oh, this cat beat me at chess. So <laughs> that's a cool story. <laughs> that's what's up. <laughs> so yeah, man, it's just it's just cool. I think you know, I haven't played chess for a long time. My man Danny was on the podcast. He told me he was getting back into chess, but um yeah, I think it, it's one of these games underrated, but it is extremely complex um once you get into it and does teach you those skills of thinking outside the box, thinking about strategy and actually putting things together. And you hear the grandmasters, yeah. they think like 20, 30 moves ahead, which is crazy to me. Yeah, so it's super incredible. And I'm I'm like, you know, being being is it that I played it for a very long time and like, you know, I, I had breaks and gaps in that period of time. Um, I, I still feel like a novice. And I, I recently um downloaded like a tutorial uh, you know, where where it teaches me, you know, uh you know, step by step, like how to like, you know, just just improve your your weight on the on the chessboard. So uh, I, I have fun with that, you know, whenever I want to challenge myself and, you know, whenever we have this phone in front of our face for too too long a period because we have to take breaks from that. Uh, I make sure that like, I you know, I get on that chessboard and get my work in. Yeah. And it's you've got to keep your, your brain active and it's one of the best ways to do it is have fun. So absolutely. Now you you started doing your own albums. You you releasing a couple of things. How are you building up in the game? Because you started getting in touch with a lot of big names in hip hop. You started getting in touch with, you know, DJ Premier is one of the biggest, if not the biggest, producer name in hip hop. But you made uh, say goodnight with him, which to me, classic beat. To me, it's a classic track in general. How did you start building those connections? Um, the, the the big thing was um, static. Static was like a mainstay in like making certain things happen for me in terms of like the industry. Static was building his name at, on the radio and being able to create certain, um, uh, you know, uh, networks. And like, so uh, Static was con- frequent, frequenting uh, D&D studios. Um, on a regular basis, showing them different music. And when we got back connected um, after a, a period that I took a break, 
because life happens. And, you know, I had my first son. I took a break after that second album. So this is this is great that you're running into that period in time because that's actually what happened. I took a little break before I dropped the Gray Hairs album. And, um, you know, Static had linked with me and was like, look, man, let's try to do one more album. And if it doesn't work, cool, you can go back to doing whatever you're doing. But if it does work, you know what I'm saying, we move forward. So frequenting D&D studios with Static and being in a position to um, kind of, um, you know, uh, be a fly on the wall in different uh, different uh, environments like D&D created a situation for me um, where um, I was able to, you know, for the first time, be in the environment of the individuals who I grew up idolizing, wanting to, um, wanting to, uh, you know, work with, uh, you know, eagerly. Uh, and I, I gotta give, I gotta tip my hat off to Static because Static was um, so passionate and and just figured out a way for him to like, you know, get into those rooms. And how did you find, because dealing with a producer is a little bit different to dealing with a beat maker. A beat maker sets up the beat, a producer is someone that's extremely collaborative with the artist in terms of creating a track, creating an album, creating a song. So how did you find going in and having an extremely collaborative approach with a producer? Um, so I, Static Static was like the like um, a, a major aspect of that prior to Static. Um, you know, the the ones who did my first two albums, the Soul Searchers, they were very instrumental and in kind of we were having a lot of dialogues about what we were going to create uh, as a as a unit. Um, so the uh, the the objective with that was just to put out quality material. And the same thing goes for like when I started working with Static, uh, I, the, the visions just have to be like uh, in sync, we, even if we don't have the same experiences. Um, the my first my first two producers and stat, static they they didn't they didn't deal with the same kind of situation I dealt with in certain environments. Static, um, static was actually born in the same city I, I come from, Lawrence, Massachusetts, and he he grew up early on around that area, but moved out of the city, you know, for like some of his grade schools. Um, we just didn't have some of these same experiences, but that didn't stop the fact that we were passionate about the same kind of quality music we were wanting to put out with this boom bap. And that was the main thing that that was a focal point for me very early on was like, you know, keeping it true to the culture and that that they uh, kind of they mirrored that same kind of message. Uh, and so it was easy for us to work together. And you have this to me, even now you have still that boom bap love like i can hear it in certain tracks that you have you have boom bap tracks you have more modern beats as well right now but you can feel that kind of homage to early hip-hop still being extremely prevalent in your music absolutely and it will always will uh it, it will always play a um uh, a major role in what I'm doing. It's true. I'm like I'm I'm getting with with the modern times in terms of some of the sound bed and, and and stuff of that nature. And I'm happy with like you know the alt alteration and the changes I've made and gravitated towards over the last few albums. Um, but yeah, boom bap will never be missing uh, from from my sound bed as a whole um, because it's just it's my first love. I did want to ask you about this album. So this album's I mean it's a beast. 19 tracks is a huge album. I mean, these days you have albums that aren't as big, but they're still coming out, big albums. But why did you decide 19 tracks to come out on this album, Themes? 
because it felt right. And because a lot of times when people tell me I, I shouldn't do something, I'm more so gonna like do it to see if I can test the gamut and like do something that 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 isn't done in an environment where it's where it's forever changing. And now the norm is the norm is for you to create records that are like uh, uh, shorter term, shorter length, um, you know, uh, even seven to 11 being like kind of like a, a nice little pocket. But um, you know, for me, uh, like I let the music speak for itself. And if I'm relaying a message, I got to make sure that the entire message is, is met before I like, you know, discontinue the the entire uh, piece of work. And so it, it just felt right. Um, and and the, the dope thing is like we we truly did do something unique with the, the album and with the um, with the vinyl itself. The vinyl was cut shorter. The, the vinyl is um, it, we we lessened lessen the tracks to make the length fit because we wanted that to sound right when individuals play the record. So we 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 took off records uh, with the understanding of how do we continue to make this still sound um, uh, like a, a thorough piece of art um, and a complete piece of art without um, losing without losing the quality of, of the sound. You have you know Ferrand who features as well so still getting obviously some some big artists and he's a huge name within hip-hop absolutely absolutely and a big um one of the gold mcs like uh someone who i for forever uh have have looked up to as as a big bro in terms of like their careers um ever since the period of um organized confusion i had been a fan of him and prince poetry uh, prince poetic you know what i'm saying like um the 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 mind frame that organized confusion was on very early on is like something that i looked at and i was like when i paint on this canvas, I want to make sure that like my message resonates the way that out al- that very first album specifically, and uh, in, in the second album as well. Uh, but like more so, uh, stressed the extension agenda. Uh, it, it just spoke so beautifully about like what we're we're navigating with politics, social social commentary, economics, uh, uh, the 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 wide wealth gap that people are talking about right now everything that was important as a message uh and is important as a message now is what these brothers were talking about very early on uh and you know what what specifically what individuals call conspiracy theory or conspiracy theorists um you know a lot of times this is individuals challenging the the, the societal norms and, and I, I i tip my hat to brothers like uh uh, Farrell Munch, who have cons- con- con- uh, consistently remained consistent in, in their message and their dialogue to the people. Well, man, to be honest, I think you're one of those people. You know, the way you talk about it, it is is that there are people that you look up to, but now you look back at your career coming to 20 years more. Obviously, you missed, you released your first demo in 98, so over 20 years you've been doing it. So, you know... For me, I look at you and go, you're one of those people who consistently expresses what you see as the challenges within society, but also the really good things within society. I mean, even in this album, you have tracks that talk about various things. I mean, you have a track about legacy, which you sent me to check out. I love that saxophone. I absolutely love that. That beat is, is fire. And then it just, you match the flow on the beat so well. So that's something that I've talked about before, but uh, what people don't understand, especially if you're not into hip hop, is the challenge is 
to be able to have your lyrics match the beat that you have with you. People just think it's talking, um, but I think you you did a great job on that, especially. Thank you very much, and I appreciate those kind words. Like, it, I it's not it's not um, uh, being it's not being non mindful of self or like having a, a a disillusion about my position in hip hop. It's more so like honestly, me being a fan so much that I have to tip my hat and and give to those who have paved the way uh, for me to become who I am before I can like, you know, ever try to express who I am uh, or be, uh, you know, speak, uh, speak with an ego about what I represent to hip hop. That's for somebody else to feel how they feel. So I, I, I'm humbled by your words. I appreciate what you, what you have to say, bro. Well, the impressive thing to me is that this album is titled The Hunger Never Dies. Oh, sorry, my bad. The Hunger Inside Never Gets Satisfied. So to correct, me- correct. To me, that is almost the most impressive part of it is that you've clearly stated here that it's not, you're not finished. Absolutely not. Yeah, absolutely. And this, 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 I feel is like more so a new chapter, like a a, a new position where you can mark, mark this as a, a new uh, beginning of a, a, a continuous growth. There, there are so many questions that come at, at me and ask me specifically, how do you still have something to say after 20 years of like just dropping music? And I mean, times change, we evolve, we grow, we learn new things. Uh, we experience uh, different emotions with relationships. So for, for, um, for time in perpetuity, I feel like I'm going to be able to uh, consistently have something to say uh, as long as you know I'm living because uh, there's always going to be something to discuss. Well, the good thing is that you also have a natural curiosity so you want to discuss these things and you grow as a person as well and your thoughts grow and therefore it continues to feed. So I think part of your mindset right now is really valuing that early young kid who's just wanting to learn and you still have that natural part of you that wants to talk and actually discuss these ideas. Absolutely. And, uh, and I can go back. I, I don't really listen to my music <laughs> like in the period of time, like so things is is has been a consistent in in rotation at in the home up until the buildup of the album dropping. And then now I'm working on the new material uh, and, and I do have, you know, other material that's actually complete and ready to come out. Um, but, um, you know, in in listening, in listening, if so, something gets played and, and it triggers a, a memory uh uh, there are certain language I might have used in the past that I don't use now. There are certain, um, you know, phrases or, 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 or ways of looking at the world that I would have spoken in the past. And I don't cringe. I don't allow myself to, you know, think negatively upon the person that I, the, the uh, individual I was in the past. I just know there's been a growth. So um, 
I'm appreciative of like, you know, the times then and the times now, and it's actually allowed me the opportunity to have respect for some of the newer artists because, you know, the, the biggest thing we can do is listen to these youngsters and their position on things. And the reason why they are so quick to ignore what we have to say is because we're not listening to them. So we have to take the time to hear what they have to say and, and, and whether we agree with the message, whether we agree with the way they express the message, allow them the platform to, to do what they do, because that's what was allotted for us when we were younger. And so how do you view the current state of hip hop? Uh, I love a lot of it. You know, um, I don't agree with some of the music, but the music I don't agree with, I don't listen to. Like, um, I don't, I'm not really judgmental. It doesn't affect me. Uh, if there's something, a message that I don't uh, feel is beneficial and is actually harming, then, you know, I speak my piece, but like I speak my piece with a respect for individuals' ability to express how they feel. Um, but the state of hip hop is in great hands. I feel um, there are so many dope young upcoming artists. Um, there's a there's a brother in um, in Maryland by the name of Ill Conscious. I don't know if you know who that is. And and uh, there's Napoleon the Legend. And um, there's individuals like um, in, in my neighborhood. There's a there's a brother by St. Knack. He's a little. He's been putting his stuff out for a while. But St. Knack is a super dope lyricist. We have artists on our up our upcoming imprint by the name of BMGI. That's Bullies Music Group Incorporated. And we have um, artists on our label from Rayel to Andre X to Bakari JB, King Philip. These are upcoming artists who are like incredible at their craft, but multi talented and multifaceted with um you know not not only being MCs, but producers, graphic designers, singers, uh, poets. They have so many aspects and layers to what they do. And that's something I respect about the newcomers. Uh, and what I always encourage is to learn those other positions. That was what was incredible incredibly important for me growing and being able to tour a lot was to be able to network and meet individuals and cre keep those relationships and, and build them for long lasting periods so that the next time I want to go on tour, I can build upon those relationships. I can reach out to brothers I have in Switzerland. I got my brother Biko. I got my brother Carol in uh, Poland. And so different areas, I'm able to like reach out to these individuals and, you know, like I can do a full tour in Poland alone or a full tour in Switzerland alone just based off the relationships that I've built. And I I encourage individuals to do the same thing, but not only that, but be multifaceted in managing your career and promoting for yourself because nobody's going to do it better than you for you. Definitely. And I mean, how did you build those relationships? Because people talk about networking a lot, but it's it sounds good but the challenge of actually doing it is very different how did you work on that craft and how did you get people to be like you know this is my man i'm going to look after him and and you know we're going to keep this connection going for for a long time it was very important for me like like uh sometimes i would go on tours and individuals like we would be in a city for one day um and and then we're back to the to the airport and like so we never really experienced uh you know a place like paris or a place like barcelona but the times where we had little breaks and lulls and periods i always made sure that i not only um uh, sat and had lunch or tea with um with an individual, but like I went out and saw the sights because I'm 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 extremely uh, uh inquisitive. You know what I'm saying? Like I I need to know uh, what's going on around the environment. So I would I would make sure that like I had my tour guide be like the individual who 
uh, is putting something on and we build and we get to know each other in that regard and, and start dialoguing about family and, and our belief systems on politics and things of that nature and be, building those relationships. When I leave, I could continue to have dialogues. I'd reach out and check in or how's, how's the kids doing and like and, and earnestly and honestly feel those uh, ways wanting to know how things are moving along for those individuals. And so uh, that network that I grew is not really networks of just uh, people that I frequently deal with on a business tip, but their family. You know, like Biko is a brother who I talk to year round. Right now we're going through the crisis we're going through. I haven't been to Switzerland. I usually go to Switzerland three times a year. Wow. Uh, and I don't go to, I, I haven't been to Switzerland, but like I'm consistently in Swit Switzerland, just talking to Biko and his family. We do Zoom, Zoom chats. We have conversations on a regular basis. We just have discussions about meditation and yoga and the things that we love in our personal lives and things that are important for our growth, you know, so. I value that. And, and, and so my brother, Carol from Poland, uh, stayed with me prior to my like leaving Boston. I was in Boston, uh, living and he would, he came and stayed with me for a few days at my home. And, you know, he, he brought me my first book, um, my cop, my first copy of the Bhagavad Gita for those who don't know, that's the book on, uh, Hindu spirituality. And I'm big on, uh, various spiritual, um, uh, belief systems and studying them. Even though I have my own belief system, I am very respectful of other cultures. So I, I read the Bible daily. I read the Quran day, daily, even though I don't believe, believe specifically in those, uh, uh, belief systems, I can respect and, and find the value in them. And, uh, that's a brother who, like I speak a, a lot about with, about spirituality and, and our relationship, uh, was fostered off of hip hop. I think, you know, you, you touch on something that's really interesting to me. What made you look into different spiritual beliefs? Uh, just growing up and 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 not uh, truly uh, relating to um, to the dialogue that was being told to me, um, you know, uh, people's belief on Jesus could be whatever it is, and I, I don't want to get into a specific um, belief. I think there's value in understanding uh, the walk that Jesus walked and like um, what what Jesus represented. But I feel like a lot of what is um, what is stated in the Bible is um, and 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 what is um represented as the bible uh in people's uh uh descriptions or interpretations i should say more 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 uh, factually like people's interpretations of what the wording says is what has been the difficulty with me dealing with what i was hearing um the different um uh wars and different um uh, I'm talking about verbal as well as um, physical wars that have occurred over uh, messaging in these um, uh, religious scriptures is what I've had a very good, I mean, what I've had a, a very hard time uh, dealing with uh, from very early on. Um, I used to go uh, to my grand with my grandparents door to door as a Jehovah Witness student, and I would knock door to door and, and pass out the awake in the watchtowers, and I would go from that to being in my neighborhood where the five percenters was uh, preaching their ideologies, and um and my mom was a, a Pentecostal um uh, woman, um, so like I would have to go to the Pentecostal church. So I was going to all these varied um different uh, churches with with uh, um certain. Uh, different kind of belief systems and understandings. And uh, I was more so intrigued by what really is um, the historical context of this conflict. 
uh, over over uh, the spirituality and, and the religious beliefs. And um, I feel a lot of the first propaganda comes from uh, these conversations. Yeah, well, I, I could say that definitely being exposed to different beliefs has you know encouraged you to look at different things and explore it further. I don't think many people would, would have read the Quran. I don't think many people would have gone and explored Hinduism either and, and that spirituality. So I think this drives back to what makes you successful in your music is that want to continue to learn and want to continue to grow as a person. Absolutely. I appreciate you saying that. And and, and that is very important for me, um, you, you know, just to be a student of the student of the world and, and to find value in the dialogue that's different than my dialogue. Um, another thing that's big for me and like I would encourage people, um, uh, language uh, barriers are, are a big thing. And because I travel uh, to Europe so much, I found it imperative for me to uh, learn uh, a different language. So I've been studying German for the past three years. And um, and um, I've been doing it on the app Duolingo, and I, I've I've become you know capable in in, in kind of tour guiding our, our group throughout different uh, environments and 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 getting us through like various conversations and in, in, in situations where we would have a difficult time if we didn't have someone with us. You know, and my wife, my my wife is is Dominican, and so I'm speaking a lot more Spanish. I will, I'm working on my Spanish now because of her. I'm more uh, I'm more adept at, at at hearing things than speaking it out. Uh, I have a difficult time, um, you know, speaking, uh, but I'm I'm getting there with the Spanish as well. It's the same for me in Russian. So, like, my family is Russian, so I understand Russian. I just can't speak Russian. The problem is. And the challenge I found is that I think in English. And so when you think in English, you have to translate your English to the other language and then you have to speak it. And that's the hard part. Once you yeah. once you think it can think in that language, then that's when you become fluent. That's what I've been told. Yeah, that's that 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 that's a great um that's a great tidbit because I definitely do think um I definitely do think um, in um, the English language, and that's that's been a very uh, hard part for me. And German's German's such a difficult uh, language. I'm I'm pretty sure Russian has to be extremely difficult um, for me. Um, Spanish not so much, uh, and I knew a lot more when um, I in Lawrence. It's a it's a predominantly uh, uh, a Spanish speaking uh, town, uh, so I was a lot more adept at it as a, as a youth. Uh, and then as I started to like, you know, navigate away from that and not speak as much, you know, in, in the local bodega, like going to order in a restaurant and things of that nature, it, it, it you lose sight of it and you kind of lose that in practice. Uh, so I'm getting a lot of more of that, um, like, you know, hands on with, with my wife now. Yeah, I think that that's awesome. Man. I think that, you know, the more people that become bilingual, the bilingual, the, the easier it is. I think it bridges those gaps. Um, throughout society but I did want to ask you as well um you you have a few like you have like things it stands for the hunger inside never never get satisfied you use acronyms like in hip-hop you have a track called hip-hop and it's her infinite power help oppressed people you seem to like acronyms what is it about them to me like it just feels like you, you like to use them and you like to have hidden meaning within the language that you use. 
Uh, first, I gotta, I cannot take credit for the hip hop acronym. That's definitely KRS One. I just happened to like, um, you know, want to, uh, you know, call the song hip hop in that regard and 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 bring music to a, a creation that he had made acronym wise. The acronym thing is big for me because of KRS One. Like he he was the first one who I saw doing it, and I found it very interesting in being able to express. Uh, more poignantly, the 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 point you're trying to get across. Real quickly, the things acronym specifically came from the artist George Carlin, who is an incredible uh, rest in power. Was an incredible uh, comedian, but uh, social um, social activist uh, in his uh, commentary and dialogue. And he had this bit that he did called uh, about stuff and the accumulation of all the things that we get in in our our regular day to day lives. And, and the understanding that this stuff that we're accumulating is so unnecessary, but we we place a, such a high value on it. And it got me to thinking about, you know, what's going on in the, the, the changes in my life with more yoga and meditation and me changing my uh, nutrition and, and being more focused on uh, plant-based living and eating. Uh, the things that I value today are so different than the things that I valued 20 years ago. And so I wanted to start, um, you know, coming up with a concept and I didn't want to call the album stuff, but I thought of things uh, and the acronym and it just kind of just fell out. It, it was perfect. Things is so simplistic, but it speaks volumes to the message of the album. I think that definitely comes through. I always like to finish on this last question, which is, what would be one album that you think everybody should listen to at least once other than your own? Uh, other than my own? Yeah. Um, wow. One album. One album that you think everybody should tune in, get an appreciation of whether they like it or not, they should listen to just so that they can understand what it is. Uh, this is really, this is really difficult to me. And I have like um, a few albums like jump out immediately. Um. Uh, because it's because the message is so uh, uh, connected to like how I think and it, it still has a worldly message that everybody can uh, feel. Um, I'm going to go with not my favorite album, but like the album that I think is uh, most important uh, in its simplicity and its incredible um, uh, depth. Uh, I would say uh, Bob Marley's legend is is, is the one. Bob Marley's Legend, there you go. If you haven't listened to it, I know I haven't listened to it, so I've got to go check it out. But um, Rex, my man, he, he's giving, giving me the time. I, I appreciate it. Um, and, you know, we talked about a lot of interesting things, not just hip-hop, but uh, a lot of things that almost structure hip-hop in a way as well. And if you haven't got by now, but he released a new album called Things, check it out. It's out on Spotify, Apple Music. You can probably get it on YouTube. He's done some music videos as well. And um, you can follow him on Instagram as well. Um, At Rex Hip Hop, follow me on Instagram. All the all the links to everything, YouTube and everything else is is uh, connected in my bio. You get the smart URL. Sorry to cut you off with that. No, nah, man, go for it. I love when you promote, promote your own stuff, obviously. And, um, you know, if you haven't been able to tell, extremely passionate about what he does and you, you're working on new music. So do you have a, a time frame on when you're looking at dropping some new music? 
Uh, the new album is uh, I, I've I've let the uh, I, I let the the word out uh, on a last previous interview uh, with the Canadian uh, podcast. Um, so I'm going to say this now: uh, the new album uh, is going to be called Black Hairs. Uh, it's like a follow up uh, to um, uh, Gray Hairs, and it's uh, um, it's in the works now. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of build up um, from that record, but also the progression. And it's it's so timely following things because now we start to talk about the legacy and the progeny a lot more. Well, man, I'm excited for it to come out. This was to me one of the the best structured albums I've listened to in a long time in terms of things. And you have a very cohesive structure. The beat selection is really good. The content is really good. And as I said earlier in the podcast, you clearly have a strong identity on what you're doing, your brand and where you're going as well. So um, extremely, extremely impressive for me to be able to, to listen to it and really appreciate it for me to be able to speak to you, man. So um, thanks for, for dropping through and hopefully, you know, everything going on, especially with coronavirus and the upcoming election, hopefully it all works out and peaceful times are ahead. Peace, peace. And Hatep, I like to say to everyone, like I thank you. Uh, the belief system is life, prosperity, health to you all. Thanks for listening to the show. Please like, subscribe, and follow us on Instagram at the underscore slim fitty biggie committee. And stay tuned for our next podcast. Bye for now.